and pay for it. So he says, this is my plan. He says, I'm going to keep my scooter filled with like gospel tracks and Bibles in the Chinese language. Okay, so I'm going to get the gospel to whoever steals my bike. And he says, the second thing is, if I have a scooter stolen, whatever it's worth, I'm going to take that amount of money and I'm going to give it to missions. And then he says, and then I'm going to pray for the scooter thief, whoever stole my, uh, my bike. I'm going to pray for them that God would not only save them, but turn them into an evangelist who would lead many other people to the Lord. And so anyway, sure enough, a little bit later, another moped was stolen. And this is a true story. Of course, he had it filled with gospel tracts and Bibles and Chinese and everything like that. And he gave, took the money and he gave it to missions. And then he prayed, God, save the scooter thief and turn them into an evangelist that leads many people to the Lord. And so he would do this. And actually, it stopped. Like, he didn't have any more stolen for a long time. It stopped after that. But then, like, a number of years went by and he had another one stolen. He did the exact same thing. Well, you know, a while goes by, a number of years, and he was in a church. He was in China, and he was telling this story about, I'm going to make the devil pay every time he steals one of my scooters. And as he's telling this story, there's an American woman who raises her hand, and she's like, can I tell you something real quick? And he goes, yeah, sure. And she goes, just the other day, she goes, I was in the park. This is in China. I was in the park, and a Chinese man came up to me, and I'm an American, and started sharing the gospel with me. And she goes, and that's just really unusual. It doesn't usually happen. And then as he told his story, the Chinese man said, yeah, I was a scooter thief. <laughs> says, I was a scooter thief, and I got caught, and I was in jail, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I told the Lord, if you'll get me out of jail, I will share the gospel all over the place, everywhere I go. And here he was in the park sharing the gospel, coming up to this woman. Isn't that an awesome story? Such an awesome story. I just thought that was such a cool testimony. I'm going to continue uh, today uh, in the series I've been teaching called Restoring Paradise. And what we're doing is we're just looking at the big story that the Bible is telling. The Bible tells one story from beginning to end. It's one unfolding story. And um, I'm going to give you four main parts of the plot of the story that the Bible tells. In fact, I'm going to ask, where's Sunshine at? Oh, there she is. Okay, Sunshine, can I put you on the spot? Because I've heard you're good at this. So why don't you stand up? Boom. Wait, 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 hold on. Slow down, because you're on it. Wait, stand up real quick. I want everybody to hear. Hold on, I'm going to give you the mic. Okay, so what's the first part, just the first part of the biblical story? Creation. Good. And then what happens after that next part? The fall. And then after that? Redemption. Okay. And then after that, the final part? Restoration. Good. You got it. Do you know the covenants too? Do you know the, the redemption plan? Okay. The six phases. Okay. Here we go. The, so the redemption plan, there's like God implements his redemption plan, right, for, for fallen people and for the earth in six different phases. Phase one? Abrahamic. Yep, the, Abraham, the covenant God makes with Abraham. I'm going to talk about that right this morning. And phase two, what's the next thing? Mosaic. Yep, good job. The Mosaic covenant. And then what? Davidic. Yes, the Davidic covenant. Hold on, I'm just going to give you a high five. Okay. You're halfway there. You're doing good. Okay, what's the fourth phase? Is it the new covenant? Yep. Yep, the new covenant is the next thing. 
And then that's already, yeah, that's happened. He's made the new covenant available. So where are we at right now? What's the fifth phase? Great commission. Great commission. We got to get the good news to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then the final phase of his redemption plan. Day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Come on. Dude, she's awesome. I mean, that is impressive. So good. I mean, honestly, I don't know how many adults would have been able, be honest, would have been able to, to nail, just do that like that. Yeah, I don't know. You don't have to read your hand. Chad, Chad would have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the Bible tells one story, and we're going to look today at the Abrahamic covenant. Because a lot of times we think of like, you know, God is looking at an earth that's filled with, he created the earth perfect. And, he, and, he, and he's looking at an earth now that's filled with sin and filled with brokenness and suffering. And he's like, I'm going to put a plan into place to redeem all of it and restore it to how it was before. He says, I'm going to redeem. I'm going to put a plan in place so that people can be redeemed from their sinful nature. I can make them righteous again. And then I got a, my plan is not only going to just make, pe- make people righteous who are willing he says, but my plan is going to restore the earth so that when it's all said and done, it will be how it was at the beginning in the sense that there will be no sin anywhere on the entire planet, anywhere. The whole earth, there'll be no bad neighborhoods. There'll, there'll be no more curse on the earth. There'll, be, there'll come a day where there'll never be another tornado. There will never be another earthquake. There, in fact, the Bible literally says there will be nothing to fear or anything that causes anxiety. Is that a cool thought? We're so used to living in a culture where we, have to be, we, we just have to be mindful of fearful things that could happen. And, and here's what I mean by that. You know, if you're a parent, and yesterday, it's a beautiful day, and you want to take your kids to the park, right? And you're going to go there, and it's like, well, you have to, like, make sure that you keep putting sun, sunblock on their skin. And keep, don't forget to reapply, right? Especially if you take them to the lake. How many of you have gotten red before? Because you, you applied the first line, but not the reapplication, right? I've done that many times. But you have to be thinking about that. Like, man, my kid could get sunburned if I don't stay mindful of this and take care of it, right? You also like when you drive there, you have to put, put, to put their seatbelts on, buckle them in, because somebody could run into you, right, on the way there. So you have to just take precautions and be mindful of these things. And then when you get to the park, they're running around and playing, but as a parent, you, know, you have to pay attention to the creepy-looking guy who's walking around the edge of the park looking at the kids. If you're a good parent, you have to pay attention, you guys with me? It, it, it's not that like, ah, oh, I'm living in fear. It's like, no, the, I just, I'm, I'm being aware and I have to be alert. What, that's the way we have to live that way in this present sinful age. But there, and I don't even think we realize the, the subconscious toll that those things 
take on us that we just we're so we have to live with it we've always lived with it our parents have always lived with it it's like this is just normal but imagine a day is coming when there will literally not be one thing anywhere to be afraid of or to be anxious about i don't know that's how it makes me feel I'm like, come, Lord Jesus. And God's like, that's how I created the earth. That's how it was before people sinned. And my redemption plan, that's how it's going to be when it comes to completion. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more corruption, no more injustice, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And those who follow Jesus, he's like, you can live with me in my kingdom on the earth in that atmosphere forever. How many of you would like to live there? I mean, I would. I mean, imagine if there were a country right now or a city on the earth that legitimately could say that's how it was there right now. I mean, I'd be like, how do I get there? You know what I mean? Like, let's go. Here's the problem, though. Probably everybody would think that. But as soon as they got there, they're all sinful and they just do their same sinful stuff in the good city and they'd ruin it. And that place would be corrupted, just like all the other cities of the earth. And it's like, that's what God is dealing with. But he's like, I got a plan in place where all the sinful people will be put, when Jesus returns, they will be put into a prison for all eternity called hell or the lake of fire, along with all the evil spirits. So he'll get rid of all sin. And the only people that will be left will be those of us who chose to follow Jesus And we're not only forgiven of our sins, but delivered from our sinful nature and made righteous. And then he'll restore all things and we get to live forever and we won't mess it up. Okay, so let's, that's restoring paradise. That's in a nutshell. That's where God is taking this thing. So when God put his plan into place to redeem all things, a lot of times, you know, people just automatically think that it started with Jesus. And, and I, I'm okay because, like, Jesus obviously is the focal point he, of the plan. I mean, he is the hero. He's the star in the story. None of it happens without Jesus coming, becoming a human being, dying on a cross, being raised from the dead, and returning and ruling the nations. None of it happens. But it didn't start with the birth of Jesus. It started long before. And God, how many of you know, like, if I'm building a house, right, a contractor is building a house, it's not like um, it's nothing. It's just a blank piece of ground. And then, poof, like in an hour, boom, you've got an entire house there, this beautiful, immaculate house with rooms. No, how many of you know it, it happens, like, phase one, they do the dirt work, right, and they get it all set right. Phase two, I don't even know, I'm not a contractor, but, you know, the guys come in and they don't even pour the concrete on day one. They got to like stake out, you know, and build the, the uh, forms, yeah, retainer walls, whatever they are, to hold the concrete. And they do all that and they get the measurements right and then eventually they pour the concrete, then they have to let it settle. And then you got like the plumbers come in and the, or maybe the, I don't know, the, who are the, the framers and they build the framework of the house, right? And now it's like, oh, I can kind of see what this is going to look like when it's finished. 
but it's not finished yet. They're just in phase one. There's just a foundation and a frame there. But then, you know, the rest of the guys come and they, the, they, the electricians do the wiring and the plumbers put in all the pipes and whatever they do. And eventually the sheet rockers come and everything, you know, gets all finished. And it's like God's redemption plan. We look in Revelation 21 and 22 and we can see what it looks like when it's all finished. Right? But God, it's like phase one of God's redemption plan is what we're going to read today in Genesis 15. And it's a covenant that God makes with a man named Abraham. And this is super important that you understand at least the main idea of, why, of what this covenant is and why it matters to us today. And it will matter to us for eternity. Okay? So we're going to read about it. Genesis chapter 15. Last week, I just to set the stage, I, I talked about the first meeting that God had with Abraham. That was in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, God, God initiated a conversation with Abram. He's like, hey, Abram. He's like, here's what's going to happen. He's like, I have one command for you. I want you to leave your father's house, your family, and I want you to go to the place that I'll show you. And basically what he's saying is you're going to leave the gods of, you know, your idols of your culture that you grew up in, and I'm going to be your God. You're going to follow me, and I'm going to lead you. And he says, if you'll do that, Abraham, here's what I'll do. And he lists eight specific blessings God promises to do for Abraham and his descendants. I have those on your notes, I think, at the end of them. Are they there? Oh, we don't have notes? Oh, are they on there? Okay, good. I talked about them last week, so I won't talk about them today, but I just had them listed for reference. Eight specific blessings. Abram has a choice to make. He's like, okay, if I do what you say, then you're going to do all this for me. He's like, that is a pretty good deal. This is going to be a lot of sacrifice for me, but the reward outweighs the sacrifice. So I obey. And Abraham obeyed God, and he went to the place that God would show him. And now God's on the line. Abraham died trusting God. You're going to fulfill all eight of these promises you said you'd do. If I do, Abraham followed God and worshiped him and obeyed him for 100 years. From the age of 75 to 175 when he died, he followed God, sacrificially just doing whatever God told him to do. Believing that you're going to do these eight things. So at this point in the story in Genesis 15, Abraham, and G- he's been walking with Jesus, with God, for, for a number of years. He's been obeying God, and God is, their relationship has developed, and um, he's been serving God, and he, know, he knows God a little better. And then in Genesis 15, this conversation happens. You guys ready? So it says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. Now remember, the the reward, they had already talked about what that is. Those are those eight promises that God said in their first conversation that Abram was believing God for. And I love this response. I, I love this insight into the dynamics of how they interacted with one another. Abram's honesty, he's like, but Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, he says, and he's honoring, he's respectful, of God. But he says, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, 
Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, he will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. In other words, you know, God had blessed Abraham. God had prospered him. He was, at this point, he had become very wealthy. And God's like, hey, your reward's going to be great. Don't, don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. Your reward's going to be great. Abraham's like, God, thank you. But here's the deal. Like, you can make me really wealthy. One day I'm going to die. What good is it? I don't even have an heir to pass it on to. I'm just going to have to give it away to one of my servants in my household. And then God answers him. I love this. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I just picture this. Like this actually happened, okay? Have you ever, you know, when you're in a city and you look up, you might be able to see a couple stars, right? But one of the things I love about South Dakota is you can drive like, you know, probably 10, 15 minutes in any direction from where we're standing right now, and you get away from the light pollution of the city, and at night on a clear night, you can look up, and there's just like hundreds, right? You can see all kinds of stars, and it's so beautiful. But, the, you know, Abram, he's, he's in the Middle East, He's, uh, and th- there is zero light pollution. There's no electricity back then. He's camping out under the stars. Literally, he was camping out. And he looks up. There's no light pollution whatsoever. And in the Middle East, I mean, imagine how many stars. Have you ever been in a place where it's super, 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 super clear? And I go out to the farm, my, my, my wife's, her parents' farm. Sometimes I go out there on a clear night. There's not any light pollution. And I just like to go out and look up. I'm like, wow, there's like thousands and thousands of stars that I can see just with my naked eye. I'm like, this is so amazing. And I imagine Abram looking up. God's like, Abram, look up. Okay, God. The next command, count the stars. One, two, three. Four, five, six. Ah, I lost count. One. I just imagine that would be the most impossible task, right? When you're looking at a sky, I lost my spot. Did I already count that one or not? And I just, he's just counting the stars and he's just blown away by how many there are. And then God says, okay, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Remember, Abram's like, God, Abram at this point, he's like, he's over 75 years old for sure. I don't know any 75-year-olds that are having kids, that are having babies, right? But and So Abraham, he's like over 75. He's like, God, he's like, I mean, you know, the time has come and the time has gone, and I have no kids. I'm going to have to pass all this on to my, 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 um, my servant. And God's like, no, you're going to have a son. Okay, God's like, I'm gonna, there's more. I'm not just giving you a son. You're going to have so many descendants. It's going to be like thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Innumerable. Uncountable. That's how many descendants you are going to have. I'm going to bless you with that many. 
And I love this. This is Abram's. Now, now, you know, the logical mind, he could be going like, that's, I don't know how that could happen. But you know what? I love this. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. Okay. I'm in. If, that, if you said it, I mean, this, this, this is the way I live, Abraham. It's like, this is how I live. I've been doing this for years now. You spoke these promises, and I obeyed. Because I believe that if you said it, you're going to do it. You're powerful and you're faithful to keep your promise. And so God says this promise, and Abraham's like, okay, I believe the Lord. And it says it was counted him, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Verse 7, then the Lord told him, like the, the experience goes on, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land but it's a this land. Okay? And we talked about that. We're going to talk about it again right now. It's a very specific land, which God will define later in the chapter. The land that Abraham was in at that moment. He's looking up at stars, standing on a piece of geography, a piece of real estate. And God says, I'm giving you this land, the where you're standing right now. And then God defines it. And he says this, I'm giving it to you as your possession Abraham didn't own any of it. It was occupied and owned by other people. But how many of you know God is the true owner? If you can get this, it will help you so much in life. If you know that you don't actually own anything. Yes, I do. I bought property and I own my land. No, it's God's land. And he's letting you live there. And he gave you the resources to occupy it <laughs> for the time being. It, the Lord owns it all, and he can give it to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And he told Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you this land as your possession. And Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, I love this honesty. He's like, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? I, I so relate to this. How many of you know if you're believing... When you're believing God, like he's spoken something very specific he's going to do in your life, and you're standing on that promise, and you're believing God's going to keep his word, and you walk through all kinds of storms, and you just hold to his promise, and, um, <clears throat> and then somebody tries to say, well, maybe it's just this like um, theoretical thing, and it's not an actual thing that you're going to possess. Maybe it's just like a whatever, a spiritual, whimsical promise. And, and uh, Abram's like, Lord, that's cool, you know, but how do I know? I when will, how do I know that I will actually possess this land like you promised to me? Then God's like, I'm going to do something right now that you'll know that you will actually possess it. This is what he does. The Lord told him, bring, and what God does is he, he initiates a covenant ceremony with Abram. And God does this ceremony. God, bring, God does it because he's bolstering Abraham's faith throughout this whole chapter. Because Abraham's like, okay, God, I believe you, but how do I know I'll actually have a son? God's like, look at the stars of the sky. That's how many you're going to have. He's like, okay. God's like, I'm going to give you this land. He's like, yeah, I know. I believe God, but, but how do I know I'll actually possess it? God's like, I'm going to initiate, I'm going to make a covenant. Now, here's what a covenant is. You guys listening? I want you to get this sentence. A covenant 
is a legally binding agreement between two or more parties, okay? There's usually terms and conditions involved on both sides. So for example, if you sell a house to somebody, right? There's a contract or a covenant or whatever they call it. They actually use the word covenant a lot of times, don't they? Who does real estate? Okay, contract. Don't they use the word covenant, Kayleen, in like real estate contracts? Okay, but it's, it's a legally binding agreement. It's a contract between whoever the parties are involved. One party says, you're, I'm, gonna, I'm on the line. My part of the agreement is I'm going to give you such and, so much amount of money, a certain amount of money. The other side says, yes, and in exchange, I am giving you this specific piece of land, and it's defined, you know, the boundaries of the land exactly. And it's a legally binding agreement so that if one party later changes their mind, right? It's like they, they can take the covenant or the contract, they can take it before a judge, right? And the judge would rule according to the contract. It says, no, I'm sorry, you have to give them the land. They gave you that money. You said that you would do this. You guys with me? Or we're familiar with a marriage covenant. A marriage covenant, it's a legally binding agreement between a husband and a wife. And, what they, and, and they make vows to one another, Right? They say, I will, you know, I will, what are they? Love you. I'll be faithful unto you. Cherish you, whatever else the things are. Um, uh, Till death do us part. I'll keep only unto you. I'll be faithful to you. I'm not going to be with anybody else. I will, I will be yours, right? Until death do us part. That's the legally binding agreement. And so what God does here is God says, here's how you can be sure, Abraham. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I'm going to put myself, I'm going to in a legally binding agreement with you that I will give you what I said I would give you. And here's what God does. Eight, the Lord told them, bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Let me just say what this is. I heard like, uh, you know, different uh, Bible commentators when they're talking about what's happening in this passage. They talk about this covenant ceremony that God, this wasn't Abram inventing it. God told him what to do. He, Abraham followed the instructions. Essentially, what God was saying is as he cut these animals in half and laid them side by side in the covenant, it's basically what God was saying. He's like, may it be to me, may it happen to me what just happened to these animals if I do not keep my part of this agreement and give you the land and the descendants that I promised you. That's intense. You think God's serious about keeping his word here? That's why Abraham's like, no, he really means it. (laughs) Like he's going to do it. And this bolstered his faith to persevere in believing God would fulfill the promises he said. And so it goes on. And then as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, this is so interesting. He says, you can be sure, everybody say sure, that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land 
where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. How many of you know that happened? In Egypt, in the book of Exodus, you see it happen. Number of years go by, Abraham does have a son, and they have children, and he has lot, and his descendants, they move to Egypt, and while they're in Egypt, they're actually oppressed as slaves for over 400 years, but during that 400 years, they multiplied like rabbits, okay? And there was like, Tons of them, like where there was like over a million of them, Abraham's descendants, you know, around 400 years later, enough that here's the deal. Here's the cool thing. Enough that actually God formed them into their own nation, which is also one of the promises that God made to Abram, right? He says, I'll make you a great nation. But God tells him here, he says, yeah, you're going to have descendants, but first, and they're going to have this land, but first, this is such an interesting prophecy. God's like, first, they're going to be slaves. (laughs) I mean, how do you like receiving this prophetic word from God? We want all the happy prophetic word. They're going to be blessed in the land. And God's like, yes, yes. At the end of the day, yes. (laughs) But first, (laughs) they're going to go through fire. (laughs) First, they're going to be in Egypt. They're going to be oppressed as slaves for over 400 years. But here's good news. God says, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them. That was Egypt. How many of you know 10 plagues? Yeah, God did it. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, Abram, you will die and be buried at a ripe old age. God's like, you're going to live a long, good life. You won't be alive 400 years from now to see these things fulfilled. But I'm making a covenant. May it be to me as it was to the animals if I don't keep these words to you. And then God's, uh, verse 16, after four generations, your descendants will return here to where? This land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. I think that's so interesting i mean there's so much in this chapter that i just give us insight into god's ways but i love it's like god owns that land at present he was allowing the amorites or the canaanites you know to live in that land right god allowed them to live there and um but they were idolatrous wicked sinful people and he's like yeah you know eventually i'm going to judge them for their sin. I'm going to displace them and replace them with Abraham's descendants, who the Bible says is Israel. Okay? He says, but Abraham, it's not going to happen yet because uh, their, their, their sins have not mounted up to the point where it warrants judgment that evicts them out of the land. You see the justice of God here? My God is so good. God uproots people groups, he pulls down nations, and he raises up nations to fulfill his purposes. But he's just in how he does it. He's not arbitrary. He's not like, I like you, Israel, better than the Amorites, so forget you, Amorites. You know what I mean? He's like, no, he's like, I'm not going to actually, because when they get replaced and removed, they're going to get killed is what's going to happen, the Amorites. And so he's like, nah, he's like, they're, they are sinful, and their, their sins are piling up, but it's not quite at the level that warrants this level of a punishment. So I'm just going to let it play out. In the meantime, you guys, I'm, you're not even ready to occupy this land yet. you got no descendants. 
mean, you could, if I gave you this whole piece of real estate that I just promised you, he's like, you wouldn't be able to uh, manage it. It's, it's way too much for you. you. I mean, you're just one guy with a family and some servants. He was like, but when the time comes, there will be millions of you 400 years from now. So while I'm multiplying you guys so that you can possess and occupy the land and care for it, he's like, at the same time, their sins are mounting up. So when those times are going to come together, when you guys are ready to occupy and with, when their sins are ripe for judgment. Isn't that, does that blow your mind? I, I read these things and I just think, God, true and just are your judgments. You are so excellent in the way you manage things on the earth, in the way that you administer justice in the nations. Like, you are so wise. I could go on and on about that, but I'll just mention it and move on. Why did... I've thought this before. I'm like, if Abraham obeyed you, why why do his servants have to go to Egypt and be slaves? I mean, they are mistreated horribly. Why do they have to go through that for 400 years? Why couldn't you have, like, let him be blessed and really happy somewhere for 400 years and multiply? Why'd they have to go? Why'd you have to do it that way? Here's why. This is my thoughts on it. So I meditated on that, and I, this, is, I, this is why I think legitimately this is why. One, as you read Genesis, Abraham does have a son, and he, has, he starts having some descendants, right? But you see, as Genesis goes on, even the, the 12 patriarchs, some of you may not even know who they are, but that's okay, descendants of Abraham, they were not the greatest guys in the world, actually. And actually, they were, they were becoming corrupted and defiled and influenced by the idolatrous pagan practices of the people around them like they would uh murder and they literally to take vengeance on an enemy they murdered an entire city of men to take vengeance on an enemy of theirs it's like they actually were becoming like the sinful people around them you know what the problem is with that it's like god is just because at this god's going to judge the amorites for their sin and Israel's going to come in, he's going to bless them. But if they are doing the exact same sins as all the Amorites, and so God's like, I'm going to separate you from them. And I'm gonna, he gets them to Egypt. But then he exists. He's like, I don't want you to become like the peoples around you. So I'm going to actually, in Egypt, at first they had favor, but then they didn't have favor. And all the Egyptians looked down upon the Israelites and they, they would mistreat them. They would literally enslave them. And so Israel is forced, kind of just they're in this situation where they're forced where all they have is really each other. And so they can't, they're not intermarrying with other nations and people groups. They're, they're not really able to participate in their, all their, their stuff. And so they start forming their own identity as a people and their own culture and their own values, and God's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this to preserve you and to create a people for myself. So that's why I see as some of the reasons why God did it that way. And so uh, at the end of 400 years, they weren't like the Egyptians, and they weren't like the, the Amorites because they had formed their own identity as a people. They were a unique people. They weren't intermarrying and just like make, and blending in, and now there is no distinct people. 
But they, they were a distinct people group. I think that's why that happened. So, um, and why God did it that way. I want to show this picture of, of the map. Can you show, put that up, Dorian? Let me just read the last couple of verses. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant, legally binding agreement, with Abram that day and said, I will give what? This land to your descendants, who is Israel. The Bible makes that clear as the story goes on in Genesis. All the way, and then God actually defines the geographic boundaries of the specific land he's talking about. And this is a map that kind of like draws a, you know, a general line of where those boundaries are that are described here. Okay, So basically, God said to Abraham, he says, your descendants forever. God's like, I own the whole earth. I own all the land. I can give it to whoever I want. But this particular piece of real estate, I designate in a covenant that it belongs to your descendants as a permanent possession or forever. He uses both of those words over and over again. He repeats this promise throughout the Bible. And he uses both of those words. He's like forever as a permanent possession. How many of you know forever? It's like that includes today. It includes 100 years from now. It includes 1,000 years from now. You guys with me? God's like, the whole earth belongs to me, but forever I make this covenant. This particular piece of real estate, it belongs to Israel forever. The descendants of Abram, right? And so, and then he describes it. He's like, um, all the way from the border of Egypt. That's like right here. Here's Egypt, the border of Egypt. He says, to, to the great Euphrates River, which is right here. This is the Euphrates River. He says, um, and this is, it's the land that's now occupied at the time by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Parasites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. <clears throat> so that's it right there. Now, you want to know something interesting, just for fun, because we're talking about the big picture story of the Bible, right? So we, when you read Genesis 2 and the Garden of Eden, and it describes the Garden of Eden and its location, guess, guess where it was? Right here. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, when it describes the new Jerusalem, the city of the new Jerusalem, which is the throne room of God, and it descends to the, the Bible says it descends to the earth, the city, right? And God describes the dimensions of the city, right? And it's like approximately uh, 1,400 miles wide by 1,400 miles long by 1,400 miles high, the New Jerusalem, the, 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 where the throne of God is located, right? And it descends to the earth. Guess how big this land that God promised to Abraham is? It's approximately 1,400, 1,500 miles. Isn't that interesting? So you had the Garden of Eden, then later, God says, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants, and through you, I will bless all the nations. And you've got to keep that in mind. It's, it was, God's not just like, I like Abram, and I like Israel more than all the other people groups. God loves all the people groups the same. I and mean, he created them all, right? And Israel, right, and the descendants of Abraham, 
have sinned just as bad as all of us Gentiles, right? I mean, they've sinned against the Lord, and the Bible makes that really, really clear, and God would discipline them for that. And they need to be saved from their sins the same way we are. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. You guys with me? But God told Abram, he says, yeah, through you, I will bless, through your descendants, I will bless all the nations on the earth. So Jesus comes along. He's a descendant of Abraham. This is many, many thousands, you know, several thousand, 4,000-ish years later, maybe 2,000, I don't remember. Jesus is a descendant of Abram. And the Bible says he's going to rule the nations from the city of Jerusalem when he returns in righteousness and justice and peace and blessing and prosperity will fill all the nations. And the Bible calls him the king of all kings, meaning he's going to rule Israel from Jerusalem, but it, it's not just he rules an empire. And his empire will be the first empire in all of history and the only one that will literally encompass every single nation, all the land, and all the people groups on the entire earth. That's never happened before. We've had empires. If you think about an empire, you got the Roman Empire, for example, right? That's just one of them. Roman Empire was a significant empire in history, and it had the Roman Empire actually um, encompassed many different nations and many different people groups. It was spread out broadly across the, around the kind of the Mediterranean Sea. And so the Roman Empire encompassed many nations and many different people groups, but they had one king who was Caesar, right? And it had a capital city, which was what? Which was Rome, right? Which was located in what country? Italy. But, like, it wasn't just Italy in the same way that Caesar, his capital was in Rome, but he ruled over an empire that encompassed a whole bunch of different nations and a, whole, and a lot of land. In the same way, Jesus, his cat, he'll be a king. His capital will be in Jerusalem. And he will, his kingdom, which will, is located in Israel, but his kingdom will encompass, his empire will encompass all the nations and people groups on the earth and all the land. And he will rule in wisdom and righteousness and justice and peace and, and, and blessing will fill the earth and all the nations will rejoice. There will be other kings of other nations and other lands, but he's the king of all the kings and the Lord of all the lords, landowners, right? He's like, he, they will all joyfully, enthusiastically submit to Jesus as their Lord and as their king, and they will govern according to his counsel. And that's why when they do things his way, things will be blessed and things will prosper. And all the people of the nations will rejoice in Jesus' leadership that they get to live in this environment where there's no sin, there's no suffering, it's, it's blessed, and they will joyfully submit to his leadership, and they will worship the Messiah who is a descendant of Abraham and in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He says, through your descendant, all peoples on earth will be blessed. All families on earth will be blessed. That's where this thing is going. God wants to bless all the nations, but he had to start somewhere, and he chose a man, it was Abram. He chose a man who would say yes to him, who would believe his promises and would persevere in obeying him until 
his plan got complete and he brought all the promises to completion. Were you guys able to follow that? So let me wrap up with this then. I've kind of touched on it a little bit already. I'm a Gentile, meaning I'm not Jewish. Eh, that's true. I am partially Jewish. I didn't find that out, though, until like, t- like eight years ago or something like that. I, had no, I was not raised Jewish. I was raised as a Gentile. I just found out, actually, about eight years ago. My, um, my mom's side of the family, there's just, I'm not very close to that side of the family. There's just a lot of brokenness, and I just hardly know them at all. And I just found out eight years ago, she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, my uh, grandparents were um, uh, Jewish, Jews who immigrated to the United States from Russia. I'm like, what? And I was like, that's so cool. I'm like, my great-grandparents were Jewish? Like, real Jewish? She's like, yeah. I'm like, that's cool. I didn't know that, man. I love that. So, but anyway, I was raised as a Gentile, to be honest. I think like a Gentile. Okay, that's, that's just how I was raised. I wasn't bar mitzvahed. I didn't, none of that. You know, I didn't, I mean, none of that. I don't know any Hebrew. Hallelujah. There you go. <laughs> Shalom. There you go. That's my Hebrew. Hosanna, maybe? I don't know. Anyway. Um, but why do I care as a Gentile? Why do I passionately care about God fulfilling all of his promises to Abraham like he said? Here's why. Because God's promises to the Gentile nations that we would live with, that we would be redeemed from our sins, that we would live with righteous, in righteousness and peace and that there would be no more death and no more suffering and no more sorrow and no more pain forever and ever will not happen. God has arranged his plan where all of the promises to the Gentiles are contingent upon him fulfilling his promises to Abraham. So if God doesn't fulfill his promises to Abraham, then the things we're believing God for, they don't happen. So let me illustrate it like this, okay? Imagine I came up to Chad. And imagine I'm like this super wealthy multi-billionaire. And I'm a good guy. I'm honest. And, uh, and I just take a liking to Chad. I'm like, Chad, I like you, man. See, here's what I want to do. I just want to bless you. Here's what I'm going to do. He's like, I, uh, I make a covenant with you. Legally binding agreement. I am going to give you $5 billion a month for the rest of your life. And Chad would be like, may it be to me according to your word. <laughs> He's like, are you sure you wrote that in the covenant? Can we get that notarized? Like, fruit sealed, dude. right? It'd be like, yes. Chad would be like, yes. But then in the covenant, I actually said it like this. Because I also liked Daniel. I took a like, I like Daniel. And I want to bless Daniel too. And I really like Daniel and Chad, and I want them to actually care about each other and love each other. So in the wording of the covenant with Chad, I, this is what I said. Daniel, I like you too. And I'm gonna, I covenant with you, I'm going to give you $10 billion a month, every month for the rest, right? But here's the, here's the deal. And you have to give $5 billion of that to Chad. Now, all of a sudden, Chad realizes, you know, I didn't really care about Daniel before. (laughs) 
I mean, Daniel was like, oh, this guy's making these cool promises. And Chad's like, well, okay, cool. But I didn't really care that much. But now Chad realizes, wait a minute. I'm not going to get the fulfillment of his promise to me unless he fulfills his promise to Daniel. So now Chad is Daniel's biggest fan. And he's praying, oh, Lord, fulfill your promises to my brother Daniel, Lord. God, I fast and I pray. Lord, help him. God, fulfill all your promises to him. And thank you for that five billion. Don't forget me too. You said that you'd go. You know, it's like, that, it's, it's a silly illustration, but that's actually how it works between the Gentiles and Israel. It's like, man, what do we want? We think about what we want. We want, we want to live in a, on an earth that has, that's filled with righteousness, justice, and peace. And there's no more suffering, there's no more disease, there's no more pain, all that, no more death, all that stuff. That's what we want. And God, the Bible makes it clear that n- that won't happen until Jesus returns and begins to judge the wicked and begin ruling the nations. It's like, okay. But here's what God said. He spells it out in his word. He's not just going to return. When Jesus returns, he's not returning to like New York City. He's not going to be like, you know, I think I'm going to make my capital in the Caribbean. He's already said, my capital is going to be the city of Jerusalem. And I'm going to be the king of Israel. I'm going to sit on David's throne. David's throne, what nation was David king over? Israel. Where was it located? Jerusalem. God's like, that's where it's going to happen. And I'm going to rule Israel. And I'm going to bless Israel. And I'm going to fulfill all my promises to Abram. And I'll be in that land they will be with me in that land forever, but there, we, the people and the, the, the man that we're going to worship, it won't happen. He's a Jewish man. He's a descendant of Abraham. And he's, Jesus rules the nations as the king of Abraham's descendants, Israel. This is what the Bible says. He'll reign from Jerusalem. I already said all this. Through all nations will be blessed. And both the land of Israel the Bible makes this really clear. Micah 4, 1 through 4, you should read it. Isaiah 2. The land of Israel and the people of Israel will become a blessing to all the nations of the earth. It's exactly what he told Abram. And we will be better for it. I mean, we're going to be so happy. You know what the crazy thing is? and um, I just got to throw this in here because I'm on this topic. You got to throw it in there. Do you know, though, How many of you know that when God made these promises to Abraham and he made his salvation plans for the whole earth contingent upon his promises to them? He put a bullseye on their chest for Satan. Satan's like, that's a good piece of info. So if I can take out the Jewish people, God can't, he can't fulfill his promises to redeem all the nations. And so... There's been a, he's been going after them ever since that promise. And that's a, I could preach on that a long time. I gave you a ton of examples from the Bible where there was genocide, literally in the Persian Empire. There was a decree from the king. He was manipulated and deceived into it, but regardless, he literally signed a law that on a certain day throughout the whole empire, everybody was allowed to... St- kill the Jewish people, and steal all their stuff. Book of Esther. 
God miraculously, you know, it wasn't just people doing that. They were evil people, but they were stirred up by the devil, right? And throughout history, you see that. You see that in the Holocaust, and it will be, the Bible says that as we lead up to the return of Jesus, it's going to happen again. It's, it's happening right now. I could tell you, I, 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 could, I could tell you stories. I've been in France. I've walked the streets of France. I've, I've met, I remember we met this sweet young Jewish woman there because we were lost in Paris. And we were trying to find our way to a certain place, and we didn't know where we were. It's confusing. And, um, and we see this nice lady. She could tell that we were like foreigners who didn't know where we were. And she's, well, can I help you? And, and, she's, and we're like, yeah, we're trying to find this place. And she says, oh, yeah. It's, she goes, why don't I just walk you there? It was like several blocks because I could explain it, but you might get lost. And she just takes time, and she walks us there. And as we're walking along, we're just talking. And I didn't even know she was Jewish at first. I mean, she just looks like a normal person. But then she was like, we're talking, and she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm Jewish and all this stuff. And I got so excited because I pray for the Jewish people that they would come to know Jesus. But I, I hardly ever get to meet one in Huron, South Dakota. And I finally was, like, meeting one. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm Jewish and just this. And I was like, oh, you're Jewish? I'm like, that is awesome. I was like, I love you so much. I'm like, literally, that's what I was like. I love you. I was just, it came bursting out of me because I'm praying for them for years. I'm like, I love you so much. We pray for you. We pray for your people. And I'm like, I worship, you know, I, 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 worship, God. I worship God. And she was like, whoa, that's not the reaction we usually get. She's like, no, usually when people find out we're Jewish, it's the opposite. It's this, at best, it's this, but usually it's hostile. Oftentimes it's hostile. And Jesus says it's going to get like that before the end. But you know what? The devil's going to stir the nations against them again. But God is going to win. And he's going to keep his promises to Abraham. And the devil's going down. And all those who join him in it will go down with him. And God will save Israel. And he will sit in Jerusalem and rule the nations, and we will rejoice. And so, anyway, it's important to know that we need to stand with Jesus, contending for Israel, that God would fulfill his promises to them. Um, and then we get ours at the same, when that happens. Amen? Okay, hope you guys were able to track with that. I'm done. Why don't you guys stand with me?